Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. There's been a lot of atheism in the air this past week, kicking off with a much-talked-about exchange by the High Priest of Atheism, Richard Dawkins, and Cardinal George Pell on Q&A last Monday. Tory Shepherd on The Punch Online summed it up like this. Dawkins was snooty, Pell was outwitted, the questions were predictable. And this weekend, the Global Atheists Convention has been underway in Melbourne. They say it's in celebration of reason. So earlier in the night, we spoke with Richard Quadrio with his critique of the smash hit book Religion for Atheists by Alain Dubaton. If you missed it, it's well worth catching on a podcast tomorrow. For now, we'll take you to Melbourne to speak with two men who've been attending the Global Atheist Convention. In the Atheist Corner, lawyer, commentator Dick Gross, who in his blog for Fairfax Media, Godless Gross, has been writing about living and dying without a God for two decades. In the Christian Corner, the Reverend Ian Powell from the City Bible Forum. Gentlemen, welcome to Open House. How are you I'm great. Very grateful to uh, have you both joining with us. Let me start with your overall reflections of this event this uh, past weekend. Dick, first to you. I have to say I was pleasantly surprised. There were a lot of people. There were 4,000 people. You know, I suppose that's a slow weekend for Hillsong, but, you know, it's a big weekend for the atheists. Secondly, a lot of them were young. You know, there was the usual old blokes like me with beards, although I don't have a beard. And, um, and uh, but, you know, I was surprised at the demographic. I was sort of uplifted by the fervour. Um, once again, I think atheism struggles with doing stuff other than lectures. Okay. And that's our problem. We don't have involving ritual and we don't have moving liturgy. Ian Powell, what were your reflections? Well, I spend a bit of my time in, you know, at lunch and morning tea, etc., asking people why they'd come uh, and then having interesting discussions with people. I mean, I enjoyed those interactions an enormous amount. There were some brilliant speakers. Three or four of them would have been enough to pay for the ticket to make it worth it. Um, I was surprised once or twice that there, was, there weren't more panels. Dick was on a panel on political action, which was good. I would have liked to see a little bit more attempt at developing a, a discussion. So particularly, I thought, with the scientist Lawrence Krauss, if I was organising it, I would have wanted to have another atheist scientist, another, another sort of quantum physicist or theoretical physicist, something like that, to have a brief rebuttal of, of Lawrence. Because I just, I just thought there was, it felt a couple of times a bit too much like church for me, in terms of, you know, like, I'd like to have seen a bit more attempt at developing arguments about things. Dick Gross, this was a celebration of reason. That's the title. Was it? That title indicates that we're a bit up ourselves, really, that atheists think that we reason and that we're logically superior. It was a celebration of reason. There were some very high-caliber speakers. The physics and the biology was interesting yet demanding. So, yes, it, it celebrated reason, but it also celebrated... You know, a group of people who came together who agreed, who, whether it's fair or not, they feel sometimes marginalised, they feel ignored, and or we feel ignored. And so it was more than a celebration of reason. It was a celebration of the group as a living, breathing entity. Ian Powell, does it infer that Christian people can't see reason or are unreasonable? Most atheists that I've had sort of 
you know, extended discussions with, like Dick in the past, although we've only talked, you know, relatively briefly, are quite aware that there are lots of intelligent and honest people on both sides of this discussion. Uh, I did feel often on the platform that there was... A, I felt a few times as if really very clever men were constantly speaking about sort of village idiot Christianity, and I just think... Um, I found that so Daniel Dennett and a few others who are just brilliant minds and, and whose lecture I enjoyed and found stimulating. But I think the reference often was as if there weren't intelligent, honest people on the other side. The young guy who spoke this morning was about the first guy I heard um, who actually, Jason Ball, actually you know, made the point that there are some intelligent people on the other side. So, But look, look I think if you, if, if you pushed all of these guys, they'd acknowledge it. But I just think it would have been helpful. The night started with... the. the conference started with humour, started with an odd video because it sort of celebrated asking why and the, one of the standout things for me in the horrible discussion between Pell and Dawkins was Dawkins mocking of the question of why and then we started off with a video about don't trust people who say don't ask why. So I thought even starting with comedy, most of which was just brilliant, but the last guy was, was brilliant, but it was just ridicule of, of the other position. I'm just not sure how healthy that is. Is that a problem for the atheist cause, Dick, because they haven't had much of a reputation for a sense of grace and generosity, even grumpiness? Atheism struggles with the fact that we, we just talk a lot. So how the organisers addressed it this year was to have one-third of the speakers were stand-up comedians. Okay. Now, stand-up comedy was hilarious. Mm. It's not involving crowd participation, which liturgy uh -huh. usually, or successful liturgy usually does. Also, stand-up comedy is very robust, so it's, it's highly abusive, and there were women who thought that at times it was misogynist, and if any believer would have been in the hall, they would have found it grating and offensive, because that's the nature of stand-up comedy, if they're being mean about you, mm. and yeah. that's what they did. Ian Powell? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a fair call. I mean, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't offended at all by the comedians. I came to an atheist you know, event, and, and, and I actually thought on the, the comedians were very funny. Ben Elton was brilliant, and a, and a few of the other guys were clever. The last fella did what I thought there'd be more of. It, it might just be a, a Christian thing. It might just be on the sop. But I just, when there's an opponent to a position you have, and they're not in the room, and they're not being invited to get up and say anything... I'm not sure how helpful it is to regularly ridicule them. And I, I think an awful lot of the speakers engaged in that a few times, some quite constantly. Look, and, but then I've, I've come to their event. They can do whatever they like. I still think one of the wonderful things is we can do this and that, that I can get in and there's a bunch of Christians here who are listening and I'll sit next to a Buddhist monk. A lot of people just listening and enjoying it and we constantly get referred to as a hall of atheists, but I thought it would have been fun at one stage to get people to put their hand up. But it was... It was a great event. I'm so glad I came, and I'm glad they held it. Okay. On Open House from Melbourne and the Global Atheist Convention, we're speaking with the Reverend Ian Powell and atheist Dick Gross. I want to ask you both something about passion and commitment. Uh, it's one thing to be an atheist or a Christian and just quietly live your life with that belief. Why is it that each of you has so committed yourself uh, to this particular cause of your own. Ian, for you, it's been a life vocation. Dick, as I said, you've been very public in taking your stand as an atheist, written much about atheism. Why does each of you have such a passion for your stand, Dick Gross? I suppose my passion is partially accidental because I completely understand that um, atheism 
and these existential issues that we try to all deal with aren't at the front of mind for many people most of their lives. So that's why I say in one sense I'm the accidental atheist. You know, I fell into it because, you know, I started writing a book about atheism and have then pursued it. It's a boring uh, explanation that I'm the accidental atheist, but that's sort of how it's occurred. Is it satisfying for you, it being an accident? Yeah, I look at a lot of my life and, you know, you know I, I, I haven't made a strategic plan and kept to all my key performance indicators and ended up where I was going to want to be. It's sort of just you muddle along, uh, uh, you know, and good and bad and terrible and wonderful things happen to you and then you hit, you know, your mid-50s and you say, well, this is, this is where I am, who I am. Are you open to persuasion? Look, I say, I, I, I never say never. And, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind. But I think it's unlikely. But, you know, as I say, I reserve the right to change my mind. Ian Powell, there's an opportunity for you. Why do you have the passion and the commitment that you have? As I said, it's been a vocational calling to the Christian faith for many years now. I think because... When I did get, you know, moved from atheism to theism and then from theism to being Christian, if, if Christianity is true, the issues of uh, an abundant life versus a futile life, uh, a life of loving, sacrificial purpose, um, and, and the question of heaven and hell, uh, they don't get much bigger than that, I think. If you're a Christian and you're not, and you're not taking it seriously, now how you express it will be different, I, you wonder if you really get it. There's something... The stakes are so high if it's true, and that's why it doesn't worry me when people like um, Richard Dawkins and others are scathing and, and hit hard, because as the atheists have said once or twice, it's a slight send-up, but they've, but they've said, you know, well, in the past, you guys would have burnt us, so what are you whinging about? And there's a truth in that. I think these issues are big, and I think we're all adults, so we should be able to put up with each other's passion. Can I ask you both again to flesh out a couple of comments you've made about that Q&A debate uh, nearly a week ago now between Dawkins and Pell. Dick Gross, how did you reflect on that? What did you feel watching it? I thought it was two ancient warriors who came together and didn't portray themselves or their causes in the best possible light. That was a disappointment for me. I thought that Archbishop Pell meandered and was unconvincing. He looked unengaged. You know, they should have had Ian Powell there, but he just doesn't have the stripes on his no. on his shoulder. He's not an archbishop or a cardinal. Yeah. I thought he was disappointing. And um, Dawkins is extraordinarily intelligent. And every time he goes on Q&A, he looks 30 points more intelligent than everyone else on the panel. But he, he has this problem of coming across as the warm, charming person who you would want to entrust large existential issues with. That's a bit of an issue for him in terms of his personal style. Hmm. Ian Powell, how did you reflect on uh, that debate? I found it disappointing uh, uh, as a Christian, uh, and, I, think, and I, I did think that there'd be any number of atheists who I think could have argued the atheism cause better. I think the surprising thing for me, just to speak as, you know, as a Christian, I, I was telling a number of my friends who were disappointed that Pell was going to be sort of arguing our case. I was saying, look, no, no, this guy's a, he's an orthodox Christian. He believes the central heart of the faith, etc. He'll have different flavors and emphasis. But I couldn't believe it at times when he seemed to me to flat contradict Jesus, to contradict other parts of the New Testament, and even ordinary Catholic doctrine.
Uh, he was asked questions about Jesus and he just missed it. And, and to, to make out that a person can happily go to heaven if they've had some vague interest in the truth, as a number of atheists said, so Jesus died for nothing. You know, that, it just seemed a very sad business. I thought, <laughs> I don't think anyone was particularly happy with it. Uh, but I, again, I'm just delighted that Q&A will do that sort of thing. It's just, it's such a great part of our country that you can have these vigorous debates by, and, and no one gets killed. It is interesting to see these sort of issues coming back into currency and current conversation because five, ten years ago, I suspect they were far rarer and far less central to debate. You know, they were uh, shuffled off to some remote area of the ABC, and now they're front and centre. Yes. Mm. I want to ask you each again one question that I'd be grateful if you could work hard on this and come up with an answer to this. In your opinion, each of you, what's the best argument in favour of your opponent's cause? So, Ian, is there a good (laughs) argument, any argument in favour of atheism? If I can say two related things. One is, one of the things that struck me in talking with lots of the atheist people who come to this convention was the number of them who felt very strongly that they had been abused, even if just educationally, in religious schools and felt they hadn't been taken seriously. And I think the legitimate anger at the amount of pedophilia in some of the big institutions, and not just that it happened, but the way in which the institution has protected its backside, when I would think everything about Jesus would say, they should be doing you know, everything possible to get the abuses of kids to be dealt with by the state, as they should be. So, and that really is, is the, the strongest issue, I think. It's the question of suffering. It's not, I mean, suffering doesn't really deal with the issue of, is there a God? But it deals with the nature of that God. When you believe that God loves us enough to die for us, it is confusing how much suffering, a massive quantity on the earth. Although at one level, at the very heart of Christianity, it is a good man suffering terribly. So it's not a shock to Christianity, but I think intellectually it's hard sometimes to hold it together that up until Jesus returns and deals with things as he's promised to do, we're caught in a world that's full of the bad guys winning so often and the good guys losing. I think that's the hardest thing to make sense of. But that, I think, is is atheism's strongest card and, and, and for the Christians, the hardest thing to live with. Okay, Dick Gross, what's the best argument in favour of Christian faith? Well, if I was a Christian, I would say, you know, the evidence is there in the Gospels, and I would argue it on the evidence, as most Christians do. The second thing I would say, not so much from a Christian point of view, but from a faith point of view, is that the truth, though interesting, is beside the point. Uh, A lot of the problems that faiths address are important quandaries about suffering, death, and meaning. And accordingly, it sort of doesn't matter if you don't believe. The religious consolation in the face of death, solace in the face of suffering, gives you a narrative which can help you deal with life. And so that's what I think I would be saying if I was trying to defend faith. Okay. One final question, again in the same vein to each of you. First to you, Dick, and I preface it by uh, quoting C.S. Lewis. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true is of infinite importance. Dick, what if you're wrong about it? If I'm wrong, and it's always hard to concede that you're wrong, but if I'm wrong, it sort of doesn't matter. I, I'm wrong if there's an afterlife, uh, and I'm wrong, I'll, I'll discover it then. You know, this comes to the old Pascal's gambit. 
where he says, you know, you should believe in God because even even if God and the afterlife don't exist, you've lost nothing. And if perchance God and the afterlife do exist, then you, you know you're better to be safe than sorry. I, I, I don't get persuaded by Pascal's gambit because I'm so convinced in my non-belief of the in the afterlife. I suppose if I'm wrong, I'll just have to cop the consequences. You know, I'm always open to be persuaded, but at this stage in my life, even though, you know, death is on the horizon, even though suffering is just around an unfortunate corner, even though a sense of meaning is harder for atheists to um, get a grasp on than theists, notwithstanding all of those things, I think it will be hard for me to change my views, but I'm, I, I never say never. Okay. Ian Powell, what if when you die, you find out that this is all there is, that you've been wrong all the time? Uh, if Dick's right and I'm wrong, I will lose nothing eternally. I'll just sleep. And I have never found anything particularly scary about non-existence. I like going to sleep at night. I don't always like waking up in the morning. So to go to sleep, <laughs> I've had 56 good years. I've been more blessed than I deserve. I've had lots of fun, lots of good friends. I've had a good inning. So if Dick's right and I die and I'm wrong, not you won't know. Not yeah, not much lost. And I mean, and I used to, when I became a Christian, I was so reluctant because I thought I was going to lose all the pleasures that you get being a heathen. I was going to have all the dull stuff that you get as a Christian. And was still, I, I had I had to change because I was convinced it was correct and it was serious. But then, to my surprise, I found living life as a follower of Jesus um, deeply satisfying and, and at all sorts of levels I couldn't have imagined. And to quote Bob Dylan, I've got a satisfied mind. It is true to say, in both you and I both had vocational setbacks in recent years. Yeah. And notwithstanding the fact that we have pretty different, but different um, attitudes to these fundamental issues, We've been able to deal with that suffering, relatively minor though it is, with a degree of strength and fortitude that's actually been comparable. And I, I think one of the things that I think atheists think Christians are saying and some Christians are saying is almost as if atheists aren't made by God. You know, like this idea that somehow or other all atheists are going to be wicked, vile, selfish and horrible, which I don't, I don't hear in many churches I go to, but obviously must be said somewhere because atheists feel it. Instead of just realising that if... Jesus is right. Dick's a product of, of, from God, and he's good, and he's got strength, and he's got community and friends. And I think if Dick is a friend, I've had to be marooned on a desert island for some years. I'd rather have him than an awful lot of other people I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but uh, the Muslims were here this afternoon wanting to kill one of the speakers, I think. Uh, a lady who was here, they were threatening at least that she should go to hell soon. If the Muslims are right, well, I'm going to hell because I believe that Jesus Christ really is God's son and therefore I'm a blasphemer. So if I'm wrong, it's hard to know because it will just it will in the end be determined by what's right. And I don't know. If, if Jesus has misled me, I will have to wait and see like Dick. But I, I remain persuaded. And um, one of the things I was hoping to hear here was better arguments than Richard's got for atheism. Richard Dawkins, I shouldn't speak as if he's a first-name friend. He doesn't know me. If anyone came out of uh, the biggest loser at the conference, it would be Islam. It's interesting. Uh, several of the speakers were pretty pitiless in their criticism in, of some aspects of Islam, notwithstanding the Arab Spring. It wasn't pretty if you were a believer in Islam. Would you agree with that, Ian? 
Yeah, I thought because when you when you had Jeffrey Robertson and that wonderful uh, Ian Hershey Ali talking about particularly human rights issues, there's no doubt that in spite of the way our media is so tender often in the way it deals with it, there are some terrible things happening in the name, you know, where, wherever Islam is strongest. It's a bigger question as to where the fault is, but certainly it's true that the more governments seem to try and live by what Muhammad is supposed to have said, the more difficult it becomes for women and for non-believers, whether they're atheists or Christians. You know, the, the church has copped it a bit, quite rightly, for particularly for the cover-ups. But yeah, I think Dick's right about the worst beating. They got stuck into the atheists for not being strident enough in their attack on some of the more odious elements of uh, Islamic practice. Yeah. Perhaps next time we'll have a three-way discussion. Yeah, right. I've been so glad to share this between the two of you, Ian Powell and Dick Gross, from the Melbourne Global Atheist Convention. Thanks so much for joining us on Open House. We hope you enjoyed this open house podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.